So today is our final message in this, <coughs> excuse me, in this series uh, called Fixed and Free, where we have talked about uh, some of the deep foundational uh, questions and issues that we have in our church right now. Um, the, the, the brief intro to this is that the United Methodist Church will be gathering as a general conference next year. It's a gathering of delegates from around the world in February of 2019, uh, specifically to try to resolve and find a way forward for our denomination in, in how we include uh, specifically gay people through the uh, through marriage and ordination. This has been a debate in our denomination dating back to the 70s. So we've argued about this for the better part of the last uh, half a century. And, uh, and we've been at an impasse. And so um, like any of these kind of uh, debates that we have about social ethics, many times uh, they are more symptoms of deeper issues at work in the church. And so we've been talking about some of those deeper issues uh, being what do we believe about God? What do we believe about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit? Last week we talked about what do we believe about the church itself and what, what kind of faith do we have in the church and what kind of church do we want to have? This week, I want us to talk about unity. Unity is, is, is a, a virtue in the church, and, and it's one that a lot of people discount, uh, especially if you are very passionate uh, on one side or the other in, in any given de- debate. You, 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 we say unity is kind of a cop-out. Is unity just something that people that don't want to fight uh, jump to? Is it kind of lukewarm? Um, today I want to make the case that it's not a cop-out, that it's not lukewarm, that it's not weak, that unity is actually a difficult thing to pursue and a worthy pursuit and indeed a virtue in the church. And, and, I'm, and I arrive at that not because of my own beliefs, but because of what I hear when I read Scripture, specifically when I read the writings of Paul in the New Testament, and he's writing to a new Christian church that has some growing pains, that has some debates internally, um, he recognizes that this new thing called the Christian faith, it, it's got this weird quality where it inspires people to have differences of opinions. You know, last week we talked about how we have kind of wide lanes in the Methodist church uh, in terms of what we can believe. We talked about how you can be a real traditional type thinker and be a Methodist or a real progressive type thinker and be a Methodist or somewhere in between and be a Methodist. And, and the same was true 2,000 years ago in Paul's day. There's something about this Christian faith and about walking with a God who's alive and reading a living text. The, script, the scriptures of our Bible are not dead. They're not just ink on pages. It's a living text, a living word. There's something about being relationship with the Holy Spirit and a living God and a living text that's going to lead us to different conclusions at times. It's going to lead us to different beliefs. It's part of what the Christian faith is all about. And so given that, Paul writes a lot about unity, writes a lot about why it's worth trying to stay together. And that's what I want to talk about today, why unity is not just not a cop-out, it's not just not weak, it's actually a virtue worth pursuing as the Christian church. And the text we're going to look at this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, beginning in chapter 4. Ephesus We've been talking the last couple weeks about Gentiles and Jews. Ephesus was a Gentile-friendly congregation, a lot of Gentiles, a lot of mixing cultures, very diverse community as were a lot of these communities where churches were were booming back in the day. Um, And so that led to a lot of differences of opinion, led to a lot of disagreements, especially in terms of what they believe and what kind of pagan practices would or would not make it into the Christian faith. And so Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus to try to establish some unity in the midst of deep disagreements. Um, We're going to begin here in 
chapter 4 and verse 1, and this is going to be one of those messages, one of those sermons where we're going to read a little and then talk a little and then read a little and talk a little and read a little and talk a little, okay? So let's start here, and before we read, let's, um, let's pray over our text and invite God into the moment. Gracious God, we ask that you would fill this space and that you would make your words come alive for us again this morning, that you would speak to us through the words of your servant Paul, words that were written to a church many years ago but are just as relevant and powerful today. God draws near to one another and near to you. In your sons and we pray, amen. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, this is Paul writing to them, he's writing from prison, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, let's stop there. That's three verses, but there's a lot there. Let's read that again. Let's hear clearly what Paul is saying. He says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's talking about the fact that this is a church who has been called to evangelize, to preach the good news to people who have never heard about Jesus before. They are the representatives of Christ. Now, that's very different than the world we live in today, especially in Dallas, Texas. There are not many people living in Dallas who've never heard of Jesus Right? So we might not think that we have as much responsibility as the church in Ephesus did, but, but Paul would probably challenge us on that too. And he would say, you've been called to represent Jesus in the world. You've been called to shine the light of Christ. You've been called to evangelize, to share the good news, to share God's love. That's the kind of call that God's placed upon your life. Can we live a life worthy of that calling? He goes on to say, in order to do that, if we're going to really live into that calling, we need to have all humility, all gentleness, all patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's two things that I know from what I just read. Number one, and, and I know this through Scripture, I know this in my own life experience as well. First thing is that, that I know that unity is not easy. It's not a cop-out. It's not a simple task. Unity is always hard won. Because unity means that there's a reason not to stay together. And the other thing I know, unity is hard won. I also know that it's grace-drenched. And I want to talk about what I mean by both of those for a second. Think about what Paul's asking us to do. How many of us would say that when we enter into our day, each day, we carry with us all humility, all all, uh, all humility, all, what does he say? Humility, gentleness, and patience. Anybody? Show of hands. 100% nail it every day. No. Of course, put your hand down. Of course not. Of course not. That is a really difficult task that just rolls off of his tongue. He's like, in order to live this life, you need to have all humility and gentleness and patience. Well, thank you, Paul. That sounds so easy, right? In the Christian faith, I find so frequently the hardest thing to do is what God's calling me to do. Has that been proven true for you? That when you're faced with the really easy option and the really difficult option, that so many times God calls you to what's most difficult? And unity is no different. Unity is going to demand that we have humility, right? How many of us love to humble ourselves in front of each other, especially when we're sure we're right about something? <laughs> I hate doing that. 
Saying I was wrong, it's like vinegar coming out of my mouth. It's terrible. I hate it. I'm a know-it-all. I know this about my, I know that I'm a know-it-all, right? Yes, thank you, Stan. You can go, too. You and the Patriots fans and Reagan with their Eagles shirt. Y'all can go have a small group out in the hallway. Um, <laughs> having humility is not easy. Gentleness. Gentleness. Have you, ever, have you ever interacted with somebody that you're just so certain they're wrong, and they're just so blatantly wrong, and they're just so blatantly outside of what God's commanding us to do that you just want to shake them? What's wrong with you? How can you think that? How can you do that? That's not what Paul's calling us to do. And then the reason I say that, that unity is hard won and grace drenched is when he talks about patience. Let's talk about that for a second. He talks about being patient. He talks about bearing with one another, not out of frustration. Bearing with one another, not out of anger. Bearing with one another, not because you have to. Bearing with one another in love. Patience and bearing with one another in love. I think that if we're going to be in relationship with sisters and brothers in a Christian community who are all walking with a living God who's going to lead us in different directions at times, then we've got to walk into those relationships with just buckets of grace that we're ready to pour on that relationship. Because there are going to be times, I don't care how much you love your sister or brother in the faith, I don't care how much they love you, there are going to be times that they are going to say something stupid, hurtful, confusing, frustrating, and they're doing that or saying that because they think they're being faithful. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever heard words from someone that they thought were helpful and were actually the least helpful thing you could have heard in that moment? Have you ever heard a word spoken out of someone's deep well of faith that they thought were going to be healing for you and actually it did more to set you back and made you question things about your faith? Is that a, am I the only one? If you're going to be in relationship with sisters and brothers and you're going to strive for unity, we've got to be ready to drench ourselves in grace and drench each other in grace because we are all going to say things and do things that are going to hurt each other. And we're going to think that we're doing them out of faith. When Reagan and I were walking through infertility, I know that's a story for a lot of families in the room this morning. When we were walking through infertility, and if you've walked through that, you know this to be true. You hear things that you're thinking, I know you're trying to be helpful. <laughs> I know you're trying to be helpful, and it's not helpful. People would say things like, you know, God's timing is always perfect. And I'd say, I really wish he'd hurry up. <laughs> you know, or they'd say, you know, I just, I really believe. I've been praying, and I, I just know that Reagan's going to get pregnant. And I just want to say, what if she doesn't? You don't know that. What if she doesn't? Sometimes we say things or we do things out of an act of faith that we think we're being faithful in and actually we're hurting our brother or sister in Christ. Or sometimes we're in a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ that we know they love us or they think they do and they're saying things or doing things that are just hurtful. And how do we maintain unity? How do we fight for unity? We've just got to drench ourselves and each other in grace. We've just got to know that it, when you're in relationship with someone, it's going to fall apart at times. There's going to be cracks. There's going to be hurtful words or hurtful actions. And, and the worst thing you can do is to just walk away from that person. <laughs> now, sometimes, sometimes someone's being very hurtful, and what you need to do is establish boundaries. That's true. Okay, don't, let's hear me clearly. But I think if you actually want to establish something good in the world, realize that if, let's say someone had said something hurtful to me when we were walking through infertility. And all I did was just take it and go, well, that was dumb. And I just walked away. 
<clears throat> what are they going to do the next time they're around somebody who's experiencing infertility? Say the exact same thing. Right? So, so I've not actually taken hold of that moment to allow for a moment for the Holy Spirit to grip us both and to experience change in that moment. Now, on the other hand, not a great thing for me to do would be, you know, Scott, I, I just, God's timing is perfect. Well, that was dumb. That would not be helpful either, right? Paul says we got to bear with each other in love, in gentleness, in humility, in patience. If we walk into relationship with each other as a Christian community and we establish first that I love you and nothing's going to change that. And that I'm going to humble myself to know that there are going to be times that I'm going to hurt you and you're going to hurt me. And we're going to fight through this. We're going to fight for this relationship together. And we're going to be patient and we're going to be gentle with one another. And when, when we step out of line, we're going we're gonna to offer a loving correction to each other. Now, that's not going to be perfect 10 times out of 10, but I'll tell you what, it's a lot better than the alternative. Your odds of success go way up when you're willing to actually talk to someone and say, hey, the other day you said something to me that I know you thought was helpful, and it just wasn't. Or I, I know that what you did the other day, you thought you were doing that out of faith, but let me tell you about why that was confusing or hurtful for me. What you've just done there is you've given the Holy Spirit an opening to allow for a heart transformation to take place. And, and that's why unity is so difficult, because it asks us to step closer into relationships that are hard. It asks us to step more into humility and gentleness and patience and love when we want to step away. Because we're hurt or we're confused, and that's understandable. But it's worth it. I love this line from John Wesley when he's talking about bigotry. Because, I mean, let's be honest, there, we can say some mean things in the name of God, right? He says this on this sermon that he calls a caution against bigotry. He says, think not the bigotry of another is any excuse for your own. If someone does something hurtful to you, says something hurtful and out of an act of faith, and your response is, well, pfft, just writing you off. Like, if they really are that far off, you're... You've expressed such a lack of love to say, hey, I don't even care that you're so wrong. I don't care that you're going to go out and hurt more people. I'm just not even going to deal with you. No, what that person needs in that moment is they need you to step up and actually love them and to see them as a human being who made a mistake and to offer a loving correction. And maybe they get it and maybe they don't, but it's worth trying. It's worth the effort because if you don't make the effort, the Holy Spirit doesn't have an opening. <laughs> you're, you're taking that moment away from the Holy Spirit to work. Let's keep reading Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 4 now. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. All right, let's stop there. Do you all get the theme? Do I need to read it again? One. One baptism, one faith, one calling, one hope, one Lord, one Christ, one. I know this is true. I know it because Paul said it, and I know it's true in my own life. Unity, real unity, hard-won, grace-drenched unity is always gospel-centered. Unity in the church is gospel-centered. If we try to unite around anything other than our one Lord, our one baptism, our one God, our one hope, our one faith, our one Christ, our one spirit, if we try to make anything else the center pole of what we're doing, it will fall apart. Full stop. It will fall apart. True unity in the church is always gospel-centered. One reason why I think this weird church called Lover's Lane works, and let me tell y'all, I don't know if you knew this, you walked into a weird church this morning, 
in the middle of Preston Hollow, we've got every economic bracket represented, every kind of culture. We've got <coughs> people who are who freshly immigrated from Africa. We've got people who are church refugees. We've got LGBT members. We've got one mom, one dad, and two and a half kids and golden retrievers. We've got everything here. We've got everything you expect and everything you don't expect in this church. And it shouldn't work, right? It should not work. If you went to the bishop and said, I want to plant a church in the wealthiest district in Dallas, and I want to have all these types of people present, and I want to do all this crazy ministry, he would laugh you out of the room. That's never going to work. Why does it work here? It's nothing that I've done. I walked into this church and I wondered, why does this work? Why does this work? Because I was a young kid thinking, this is so bizarre. And it became really clear to me as I had conversations with people who had found their home at this church, very different people from all walks of life. And they said, the reason I'm here is this church doesn't make it about anything but Jesus. We don't fly any banner other than the banner of Christ. We don't fly any political ideology. We don't make it about any sort of personal belief. We don't make it about anything other than loving all people into relationship with who? Jesus Christ. Not loving them into a relationship with a political party or not loving them into a relationship with an ideology or not loving them into a relationship with a specific social ethic of the day. We love all people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The end. And I think that's part of why it works. I think that's why we experience a unity here that the, that the denomination can't seem to find on the global level. It's because we make sure the center pole, the tent pole, as Stan talked about last week, that center pole is always Jesus. The second we try to make it about anything else, maybe you wish that our church was more of a church like that stood for this or for that or we made statements about this or that or that we flew a different flag. Guess what? It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Because nothing's going to unite the people of this world other than our one Lord, our one baptism, our one Jesus, our one Holy Spirit. If I'm sounding repetitive, it's because I want to drive this home. We live in a day and age where we all want to faction off into our different tribes. And we all have our labels. We say, I'm pro-life. Well, I'm pro-choice. Well, I'm pro-this. Everyone's pro, by the way. You know, no one's anti-anything. We're all pro-everything. Um, I'm pro, 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 pro. I'm in this camp. I'm in that camp. None of that is going to build the kingdom of God in unity like uniting ourselves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ challenges everybody, it convicts everybody, it comforts everybody, it extends good news to everybody. It is the level playing field. The ground, as they say, is level around the cross. Unity is always gospel-centered. I love this, another John Wesley quote. Since we're concluding the sermon series today, I wanted to take a look back at for those of you who don't know, John Wesley founded Methodism. So I wanted to look back and realize that not only is Paul saying the same things, John Wesley is saying similar things in his day and age as well. He says this in a sermon called The Character of a Methodist. As to all opinions, he said, which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. There are some things that you're going to have to believe if you want to call yourself a Methodist, he says. You've got to believe uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, that there is evil and wickedness in the world, that it's your job to fight against it, that it's your job to be a beacon of light, it's that God created you, that God's redeemed you, that God sustains you. There are some things, these core root parts of Christianity that you're going to have to believe. He says the other stuff, eh, it's good conversation, it's good dialogue. Why are we making not the main thing the main thing? Same thing, different day. Do you see how everything is just cyclical? 
It's the same problems. We just decided to make it, and we just wrapped it up and put a different bow on it. Hey, it's the same problems. We're surprised. We think and let think. Continuing in Ephesians, picking up now in verse 7 and 8, and then continuing in 11 through 16, he says this. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Keep, let's keep going for a second. He gets into this whole like ascended, descended stuff. Yeah, and next slide. There we go, perfect. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the full measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. See, there it is again. Speaking truth and love to each other. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, the center pole, from whom the whole body, joined in together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. So this is not the only time that Paul uses this language about the body of Christ, but here what he's talking about is what it means to be the church, specifically a church that is designed to grow, a a church that's designed to spread the good news, and really what he's talking about is this sort of end run of when the whole world is united around the gospel of Jesus. So I want to talk about that for a moment, because the thing I learned from this part of his text and from my life is that unity is kingdom-minded, and it's hard to be kingdom-minded. I love being (laughs) small-minded. Unity is kingdom-minded. So what Paul's talking about, I don't know if you've given much thought to the end of the world. Anybody? You think about this? Um, Maybe recently. I don't know. Um, So, a different sermon for a different day. So, in terms of uh, of theology, we we talk about the end of times. You know, there's all these books about end times, and they're all kind of scary, and like the whole Left Behind series. Here's the If you've got a book about God and Nicolas Cage is starring in it, like, you might want to rewrite. Um, so the end times, we, you know, it sort of looks like doom and gloom, and it's so scary. Well, it's really not. If you go back and you read Revelation, it's actually kind of a happy ending, because the idea is that the whole world is united around loving God and worshiping God, and every knee will bow down, and every voice will cry out, and even the creation itself sings praises to God, and there's this whole new Jerusalem that's built, and it's lovely, and everything's golden, I guess, you know, and, and it's very nice. It's lovely. Um, and so Paul's sort of talking about this sort of end run. You know, we're, he's saying we're here for a purpose. We're not here just to sit around and, and, and eat potluck and, and talk about our week. We're here to share the good news, to go out and win the hearts of the world, to, to turn them and point them to, to Christ and to God. Um, and, and so our job is to build up this body of Christ. And he talks about how there's all these different gifts that everyone receives. Some are prophets, some are, are, are evangelists, some are teachers. You know, notice he doesn't say some are um, attenders. They just come up and watch and go home. No, he doesn't say that. That's not a gift of the Spirit. We all have a part to play. Um, but all of us, even though there's this sort of diversity in gift, we're all united 
around this central purpose to build up the body. And he uses this metaphor of the body kind of quite literally. He uses it in other places in scriptures as well where he talks about some of us are an eye and some of us are a mouth and some of us are hands and feet. And, you know, the, the hand, it reaches out and it grabs and it touches and it, and it, you know, is utility and everything. But it, it serves the purpose of the body and the eyes they see, yeah, that's great. But it's seeing for the body. Everything comes back to the body. People that talk about unity, and, and they talk about it as sort of this weak-willed thing or this sort of lackluster or lame-duck option or a cop-out, you know, they seem to say, you know, well, we just disagree, so we just need to schism. We just need to split. Um, that, doesn't seem to be the, that doesn't seem to be the virtue that Paul's lifting up here. And, and, and let me tell you, there, there are like 30,000 Christian denominations in the world. 30,000. Now, granted, some of those are, like, weird, right? It's the, the Holy Covenant of Mount Zion, first of the Lutheran of the Lord our God of Christ, the peace of the disciple of the quest of good news, right? They got, you know, there's so many copyrights, it's hard to find a new name these days. Um, I don't know that the world needs 30,002 denominations. I don't know that that's going to be the ticket to all of a sudden Jesus goes, that's it, 30,002, I'm coming back now. You got it. Ding, ding, ding. I think unity is hard, and I think that it requires grace, and I think that it's gospel-centered because ultimately it requires a kingdom mindset. When I hear Paul talk about what he thinks the body should grow into, when I, when I read Revelation and I hear John talk about what he sees, I see this enormous movement of unity and, and everyone's centered around who God is and worshiping God and there's no divisions anymore and, and, and everyone is, is together and everyone is equal and there's this commonality between all women and men on earth. When we talk about schism, it, it, we, we talk about it like it's, it's a win and, and it might be a win in the short term so that we can all go off into our camps and agree with each other again because doesn't that feel so good? Let me start a Facebook group. Um, when I look at the end times and I look at where this is all going and I look at what the kingdom of God is really about, I, part of me thinks that maybe this unity thing is a part of that. <laughs> maybe somehow my destiny and your destiny and your destiny and your destiny and India's destiny and England's destiny and South America's destiny and maybe all of our destinies are intertwined. <laughs> Maybe the longer we spend fighting about who's right and who's wrong and splitting up and splitting up and splitting up, maybe that kingdom of God is a little bit further away. And every time we come together and we, we forge relationship with one another and, and we love our sisters and brothers together and we fight for relationship with one another and, and, and we acknowledge our disagreements and, but we work through it, maybe God's kingdom comes a little bit closer because I just have to believe that somehow our ability to unite as people rather than divide is so inexplicably tied to the kingdom of God becoming real here on earth. And I wonder if we really took that seriously, the fact that there is no division in God's kingdom. There is, there is no denominations in God's kingdom. There is one God, one baptism, one Lord, one spirit, one Christ. If we really took that seriously, maybe we would stop talking so much about divisions. And instead we would really fight hard to see what, looking together stay, what staying together looks like. Because dividing, it sounds like a win, but it... it, it it sounds like it might be a win short term, but I don't think it would be. 
And, and it's personal for me because I've got family who are Methodist pastors. I've got family who are Methodist pastors, and we disagree on the social ethic issues of the day. We disagree about whether persons who are gay should be ordained or allowed to be married. And I know that if there is a schism, if there is a hard break in our church, like what's that going to mean for Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? What's that going to mean for family get-together? So it's, it's personal. Maybe this is me being selfish, but there's something about me that believes that I ought to fight to stay in relationship with not just my family that I've got here on earth, but the family that I've got in Christ. There's something about accepting this role as a, as a brother in the family of faith with all of you that, that means I should fight for that until I don't have any fight left in me. I mean, Paul says to make every effort to maintain unity. I don't know that we've made every effort. You know, we get together every four years at these general conferences, and granted, I'm young, and I'm coming into this conversation a little late in the game. It's been going on since the 70s. I don't even, I mean, what was that, like 100 years ago? I have no idea. Um, no. And so I get that there are people that have been involved in this conversation for much longer than I have, and maybe they have fought till they got no fight left. And I acknowledge that, 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 that it's been going on a lot longer than just 2018. But I also know this, and, and I've heard this from people who've attended, that Every time we get together, it's kind of the same thing, different day. We wrap up the gift and just put a different paper on it and put a different bow on it and go, oh, it's a mess. Who knew? You know, um, you have the same people, literally the same people getting together every single time and lifting the same arguments and the same debates and the same questions and the same arguments and the same anger and the same talking points. And it's just the same, the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. I don't know that that's every effort. I think we've, we've made every effort to try to be right. I don't know that we've made every effort to try to maintain unity. And I think that the kingdom of God demands unity, so we might want to take that more seriously. And it's hard, and it requires a whole heap of grace. And it asks us to not unite around an ideology, but rather around a cross. And it asks us to get a really big kingdom mindset that we don't like to adopt very often. But I wonder, I wonder if we fought for it and we made every effort and we found a way to stay together as a family of faith, maybe God's kingdom would inch a little bit closer. So where does this leave us? We've talked for five weeks now about some really heavy conversations about God and the church and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and unity. And you're sitting there going, you know, Scott, this is great, um, but I'm not going to general conference and neither are you. <laughs> None of us are going to have a vote. None of us are going to have a seat at the table. So what do we do? What do we do? Obviously, we, we, we pray. We pray for our church and our denomination. And then what I think we do is we get back to what we've been doing for as long as I can remember at this church. We love all people in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We did that last year. We're doing that this year. We're going to do that next year until kingdom come. <laughs> Quite literally, <laughs> till kingdom come. There's this quote that John Wesley has. Leave us with one last quote. This is a sermon, actually, he titled On the Church, right? Kind of a similar theme to today. And, and, you know, Wesley, he was way smarter than me. I mean, his sermons were like these theological dissertations. I mean, they're, they're a little bit tough to listen to, I got to imagine, right? I mean, it's heavy stuff. He doesn't do fun anecdotes, right? There's, there's not like a story about his dog. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. Um, so he has this long, really theological, heavy sermon about the church and his great love for the church, but also what the church is or is not. And it's all this very heavy, heady stuff. And I think he probably knew that his congregation would be left sort of like we might be today going, what do we do with this? 
And he closes with this statement. He says, in the meantime, let all those who are real members of the church, he meant those who really love the church, who are not just here to, to look and see, but are, who, who are here to do the work of God. He says, let all the real members see that they walk holy and unblameable in all things. You are the light of the world. You are a city set upon a hill and cannot be hid. Oh, let your light shine before people. Show them your faith by your works. Let them see by the whole tenor of your conversation that your hope is all laid up above. Let all your words and actions evidence the spirit whereby you are animated. Above all things, let your love abound. Let it extend to every child of man. Let it overflow to every child of God. By this, let all men know whose disciples you are, because you love one another. So what do we do? We do what John Wesley asked us to do. In the meantime, love one another. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, as we consider what it means to be a united people in the midst of disagreement and even division. We ask that you would pour out your grace upon us again this morning. That you would remind us of the covenant we've made to love our sisters and brothers in the faith, to love them when they say and do hurtful things, when they frustrate us or confuse us, Remind us of the covenant we made to center ourselves not on our personal beliefs, not on ideologies or politics or our favorite leader or talk show host, but rather to center ourselves on the cross and on you. And God, remind us that our lives and our church and our stories are bigger than February of 2019. We've been here before and will be here again. And somehow you've worked through this weird, messy thing called the church and you've brought your kingdom closer. And when we divide from each other, then your kingdom seems to grow further away as well. So God, this morning, commit our hearts to the hard-fought unity that you desire in your people a commitment to sisters and brothers who might drive us absolutely insane. A commitment to your gospel that needs to be heard, to a light that needs to shine. A light that will shine brighter and a kingdom that will grow closer the more we grow together in you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>